Hey, all you fiction peddlers out there. Today's show is brought to you by Photo IQ. And you should know by now that they are offering one of the best online photography courses you can take. It'll be cheaper than just about any other course you can imagine and more in-depth than anything up to the collegiate level. They specialize in all types of photography from landscapes to black and white, you name it, they do it. And when I say they, I mean Gus. And Gus actually popped into the happy hour we did last Friday. So that was cool. We got to chat with him. Very nice guy. And I must say, even before I knew that it was the Gus from Photo IQ, I was admiring how clear and crisp his video was coming through. He had the by far the best looking uh, lighting and, and picture on his video of anybody, especially me. It was just the perfect testament to his his skill in photography and videography and everything like that. So go to photoiq.co, use promo code FICTION for 20% off your order. He bumped it up for 20% because he really believes in this course and wants to share this knowledge he has with the listeners of this show. And you guys know I'm a huge fan of building your human capital, increasing your marketable skills, and online photography. These are things that everybody needs to know this day and age, regardless of what your profession is. If you're going to start your own business, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to know how to um, take good images, use Photoshop, things like that. And that's what Gus is going to help you do. Build an online portfolio, help you every step of the way. So check out photoiq.co for 20% off. Use promo code FICTION. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone is doing well today. I apologize. I am late getting this episode out. So I hope you guys all enjoyed your weekend. It's now, man, it's Wednesday afternoon. I, I just, it, it was just one of those weeks where I just, things just kept coming up. There's been construction here. And I had to get some, uh, I had to get my washing machine repaired and all kinds of stuff that just sort of threw a wrench in the works. So I didn't have time to do an episode on Monday or Tuesday. I did kind of want to wait until this whole Donald Trump impeachment trial got underway. But hopefully uh, we can talk a little bit about that today. I hope you guys all enjoyed your Super Bowl Sunday. Man, it was something. How about that Tom Brady, huh? Just age-defying immortal Tom Brady wins his seventh ring. I didn't watch much of the game, to be honest with you. I had a couple friends over here, and we were drinking and shooting the breeze or whatever. We had fun, ordered some pizzas, but didn't. I, I probably watched maybe 10, 
10 minutes of that game tops. I didn't watch any of the commercials. I, so I missed, I just can't fucking stand the endless amounts of fucking propaganda and lecturing that has become the Super Bowl. These commercials, you know, when I was a kid, before all this um, social justice warrior wokeness, all this woke stuff got out of control and all this um, just politically correct nonsense ran amok. The Super Bowl commercials were funny. And that was like the whole point was to have like the funniest Super Bowl commercial of the night and then everybody be talking about that the next day. I don't think, you know, from what I've gathered from just reading and listening to people talk about this, it didn't sound like there was one funny commercial the entire fucking night. Every single one of them had an agenda, was all like fucking luxury and preachy and just oof, the messaging is just so fucking boring and humorless and just it, it's a great representation of where we are today as a society where just a bunch of miserable humorless people that politics has to enter into like everything yeah you know, everybody's got an agenda and you have to force that agenda into every single conversation every single arena no matter what it is you know it's like They've become the vegans of society, you know, vegans and CrossFit. This is what it is now, right? It's like, this is what the whole, you know, equality, social justice warrior, polit uh, politically correct, you know, all this woke shit that everyone's talking about and all these corporations are pushing, gender stuff, all of it. It's just like, no matter what it is, that that's what they're going to talk about. You know, it's it could be a commercial for fucking shoes and somehow they're, they're going to work in the idea of like, male toxic uh toxic masculinity and all this shit it's just i can't fucking stand it anymore i gave up on on sports in general like i don't uh, the whole uh, it, ugh, it's just this is what happens when you have a gigantic government that uh, politics is um involved in every aspect of your lives it, you can't escape it. You, it's just everywhere. And I mean, I believe me, I'm sort of a political junkie, but I don't like being fucking lectured to about all this bullshit. And I, I want when I want to watch sports, I want to watch sports. I want to talk about sports. I don't want to talk about, you know, uh, Trump or fucking Biden or gender equality, whatever it is, you know, kneeling for the national anthem, the national anthem in general. I don't want any of that bleeding into sports. And, you know, I just stopped really caring about about sports in general a, a few years ago. I, I used to be really into it. I used to love football, baseball. Obviously, I loved the fucking Chicago Bulls when I was growing up. But over the years, you know, it just became less and less important. And I don't know exactly when I made that the, the jump, but it, it coincided with a lot of this a lot of politics just bleeding way too far into sports and everything becoming you know, politically driven, agenda driven, and it became less about the sports and more about just propagandizing people. It coincided with that for sure. And I just realized that I'm getting you know, way too involved and riled up and spending so much time on something that's never going to affect my life one way or the other. Whether or not this team moves the ball over that yard line or they make that last second shot, oh, okay, great, in the in the moment that could bring me some joy or some anger or something like that. But other than, you know, it's, it's not going to change my life one way or another. And I just stopped really paying attention to it, particularly 
once I started coming down here to Mexico, I, I mean, I watched maybe two Bears games all year. And that was kind of early on when I was like by myself. I had nothing to do and I didn't really have a lot of uh, friends down here or anything like that. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go check out a Bears game. Now, yeah, I just, it, it's harder and harder to find the energy to care about it. I find it um, sort of humorous when I see other people getting so involved, you know, calling into sports radio talk shows and everything like that and getting all riled up and screaming about the coach or the draft picks or something like that. So anyway. I didn't watch much of the game, just just enough. You know, I saw a couple of Tom Brady's touchdowns. Yeah, that's about it. So I don't know. I, I found it hilarious that, you know, I'm reading articles after the fact about people's reaction to the, the Super Bowl. And I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter and everything like that. So I see these people freaking out that Tom Brady isn't wearing a mask when he walked in. And how dare he not be like this role model. And he could have used this platform to put forth a message. Listen, he he did put forth a, a message. It's just that you, you're a you're a pro a pro virus masker and you didn't like the message that he was putting forth. He was just walking in like a normal person without a face mask on and he wasn't being a paranoid, you know, schizophrenic about these fucking these viruses. I mean, he was just living life like a normal human being and then he goes in there and fucking mops the floor with all of these virtue signaling athletes, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I saw him wearing his mask on the sidelines and it's just like, dude, it, the mask is just a form of virtue signaling at this point. There is just very little evidence to show that it does anything to stop the spread. In fact, the, the CDC just came out, I think it was today, let me see. I apologize if you guys can hear all this shit going on in the background. They're drilling or something, and then I got neighbor. I've been trying to, every time I try to record, you know, I block off some time to do a podcast, something starts happening, and I finally decided that, like, I, I went as far away from it as I could, and I, but the, you know, the, the insulation in these places is not very strong, you know, it's Mexico, it's hot, they don't insulate the walls, and the doors are very thin and things like that, so the sound just fucking carries and I, I do apologize, and it is kind of distracting, but hopefully you guys won't hear it, or maybe I can edit it out in post. But yeah, the CDC came out and, and just started recommending two masks, right? Because I mean, obviously two masks is better than one, but isn't this just an admission that one mask doesn't really work too well? I mean, why weren't they recommending two the entire time? A lot of people say it's just intuitive. Okay, well then why didn't they recommend that? Why not? Why, why are we just now, a year into this fucking thing, recommending two masks? It's not based on the data, unless it's based on the data that shows that one mask doesn't do shit, doesn't do squat. That, that to me, makes a lot more sense. So they're basically just admitting that one mask doesn't do anything. But they don't have any other ideas, right? It's They don't want to admit that the one mask doesn't work, and so we were just making you guys go through this ritualistic thing to make you feel safer, this like placebo type thing. So we can't go that way. We can't go to zero masks. No, no, no. That would be ridiculous. So let's just go to two masks. And here, like the insanity just continues. Why not three? Like it, it, it reminds me of just the arbitrary inflation target that the Fed sets. You know, well, we're going to target 2% inflation. Well, why not 3%? I mean, if 2% is good, isn't 3% better? And why not 1%? You know, it's like, 
this is just oh god have we reached peak insanity in this country and it's literally just a result of government becoming way too big all of these problems we have can be traced back to a government that is too big and too involved in our lives and that's why everything becomes a political issue even a fucking stupid football game politics is all over it and and twitter's like going crazy you know because a white guy won the super bowl during black history month and that's racist now apparently even though the super bowl is always during black history month i I don't know those were the big takeaways for the super bowl for me uh the commercials are just pure propaganda Every aspect of our lives has become politicized because the government is involved in every aspect of our lives. And once again, the needle of racism that is buried in the haystack can be found in a a white quarterback winning a Super Bowl against a black quarterback during uh, Black History Month. So I I guess we shouldn't have even played this game. We should have just anointed Patrick Mahomes because, you know, he's black. It's Black History Month. You know, is he half black i don't i don't know exactly what he is but he's he's not very dark so maybe he's only half black and half white or something or half something else anyway um i i guess yeah since it's racist to play football uh, uh, or to beat a, a black person at uh, at something not not just a sporting i guess it could be a game of chess it would be racist to do that during the month that we're celebrating black history month so we should just give them whatever they want and just capitulate everything for the month of february oh my god has the whole world just gone crazy? And how do people put up with it? I mean, like, I don't know. I didn't see the the ratings or anything like that of who, like, how many people watched the Super Bowl. I got to imagine that the ratings were down, though. I mean, the NFL ratings were down all season long. And it, it, a lot of it has to do with this, like, sing-songy, preachy, social justice warrior tack that they're taking. But isn't everybody getting tired of this? I mean, I know I am. I I gave up on it, like I said, a long time ago, but I've always been ahead of the curve with uh, with these things. And I guess I have less patience than most people as well. But it is just the the whole world seems to have gone or at least this country has seemed to go go completely insane over the last uh, eh, 10 years or so, particularly during the Trump era. And I mean, it's just we're watching the the decline of the empire crumble, the empire crumble right before our eyes. It's hilarious, but also just so frustrating to watch an empire in the last throes of its power, just crumbling. Everything is crumbling around us. The culture, the, the IQ of people, it's just the, uh, the balance sheet is crumbling. We got Biden coming out. I mean, he is, Dude, he is on a fucking tear with these executive orders and with the stimulus. He's going to, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing through, like I talked about on the last time, a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. And that's, I think that's just the first of many to come. And $350 billion of that is going to go to state and local governments that like uh, Illinois, California, New York, that have blown up their fucking balance sheets with all of this liberal agenda that has had disastrous results i mean these are bankrupt states and now they're getting a a federal bailout and i've talked about all of the problems that come along with that you know the tremendous amount of moral hazard and just how fucking wrong it is that you're making people in other states pay for the mistakes 
of of other people when they get no benefit from it whatsoever. You're you're stealing from people. You're stealing from future generations, people that aren't even born yet, to pay for California's radical fucking agenda. That's that's produced horrible results, absolutely horrendous results. If you had gone back, you know, thirty years ago, twenty years ago and said, whatever California has spent on all of its social programs and all of its empty promises to help the poor and the downtrodden and the homeless and all this stuff, if you had told them that they were going to spend as much of the, as much as they spent over the years on these problems, um, they would have said, first of all, hell yeah, that will definitely, that's definitely more than enough than we need, and that will solve the problem. And what do you have in California? You have a, a tremendous uh, uh, homeless population, tent cities popping up everywhere. I mean, th- this has been a, an abject failure by any measure. And now we're just going to bail them out and they'll continue to do it. More of the same. You know, this gets to the heart of the issue with government. The problem is that none of the incentives for government to solve problems actually exist. I mean, if a government solves a problem, what do we need the government for then, right? So let's say we set out to solve homelessness, right? And they create committees and super committees and all these bureaucracies, the anti-homeless you know, team or whatever that, that's going to solve this, and they get $100 billion a year or whatever. It, you know, okay, that seems like a lot for homeless. $10 billion a year. And... Then we set up all these other departments at the local level designed to solve homelessness. And you get all these people that work there that get a salary. And five years go by and miraculously, all of the homelessness problem has been solved. No, There are no more homeless people and there will never be homeless people ever again, right? Well, then what do we need all this government for? What does what that department that gets $10 billion do? What are all the, the subsequent you know, ancillary bureaucracies? What do they do? What do all these government workers who are working to solve the homeless problem do now? They're out of the job. They're, they're no longer necessary. So you see, it behooves them to keep people homeless, to keep them in poverty, because then they can point to the problem and be like, look, look, look at all these homeless people we have. We need more money. We need more funding. We need more offices. We need more uh, you know, bureaucrats to help with this problem. We need more people working in here. We need to pay them more money, because look how bad the problem's getting. And every, every time the problem gets worse, it's just an excuse for government to ask for more money. The exact opposite happens in the private sector. If I set up a company, or let's say a charity, that was designed to end homelessness, I wouldn't be pointing to how many more homeless people we have this year than the year before as a need for my charity, as like bragging for my charity. Be like, look, look, look at how many people we have that are homeless. This is why we, this is so important. I'd be bragging about how many people we pulled off the streets and put in homes and that the number is going down because we're accomplishing our goals. And that's why you should give us more money because with the money we've had so far, look what we've accomplished. We've gotten, we've actually gotten results. And so if you give us a little more money, we'll get more results and pretty soon everybody will be off the streets. You see, it's the exact opposite. The incentive is not for failure because failure in a charity, if you every year you go to your donors and be like, all right, listen, you know, we have uh, 10% more homeless than the year before. 
who's going to keep donating to that? You obviously suck at what you're doing. You're not being a good steward of their donations. And that's the way the private sector works. And the government works the exact opposite. There is no incentive for them to solve problems. COVID-19 is the ultimate example of this. Okay, COVID, like any other problem, is not something the government actually wants to solve. The more COVID we have, the more cases we have, the more deaths we have, the more positive tests we have, the more uh, these Democrats and Republicans can get together and pass COVID relief packages, which is just a Trojan horse for all of their fucking ideas that they couldn't pass if COVID wasn't a problem. It's the whole never let a crisis go to waste thing. COVID's a crisis. The longer we can drag this out, the worse we can make it seem. The more funding we can get, the more money we can steal from the American people, line our pockets, line our donors' pockets, give them to big business, give them to the big banks. And yeah, sure, we'll give you 600, maybe 1,400, okay, 2,000. We'll give you guys a little bit. Every six months, we'll give you a couple grand. But trillions and trillions of dollars are being fucking taken from us because of this whole COVID relief idea. And the longer, you know, this is really just a Trojan horse for them to pass their real agenda. Watch what these Democrats are doing to these bills. They're trying to tack on the $15 minimum wage onto the COVID relief package. You know, there's going to be Green New Deal shit stuffed in there. It's not going to be a a 10-page bill that just says, okay, this is what we're doing for COVID. No, no, no. It's going to be, you know, 2,000, 3,000 pages full of all kinds of shit that they're shoving down the throat of the American people in the name of COVID relief, but that's all just complete bullshit. This is what this is how they operate. This is how they've always operated, and this is why these bills are thousands of pages long. This is why these bills, uh, this is why when Rand Paul proposed the We Must Read the Bill Act before we pass it, it got virtually no support. They don't want to solve these problems. They want to exacerbate these problems because then that's an excuse for more relief. Oh, look, we need more relief. We need to do it bigger this time. Obviously, the first you know $6 trillion we spent on this wasn't enough. We, we should have gone big. I mean, this is not something that we can skimp on. The American people deserve you know, all, all this uh, COVID relief. So we did, you know, we can't skimp on this. We have to make it 10 trillion, 20. I mean, at this point, just make it 50 trillion and be done with it. I mean, what what are we doing here? I mean, if 10 trillion is good, make it 50 trillion. Let's just stop fucking around. I, I, I'm so sick of this, you know, back and forth, you know, two and a half trillion, 1.9 trillion. Who cares? Do it all. See what happens. See what happens. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little off track here, but it's it's a lot like the uh, the fifteen dollar minimum wage. I don't know why Republicans even fight this anymore. Just either call their bluff and ask for a much bigger minimum wage, or just shut the fuck up about it, or um, advocate for a zero minimum wage. The, the I mean that is the ultimate minimum wage. The real minimum wage is zero, okay? Um, An employer is not forced to hire anybody, and you can't force them to pay somebody $15 minimum wage. They can just fire them or not hire them in the first place. So the real minimum wage is always and forever will be zero. But if 15 is good, 
Why not make it 25? Why not make it 50? I mean, at some point, you're going to have to acknowledge that this is damaging to the the, the job market or in case of a, a COVID relief bill, the overall economy, if we're dropping $30 trillion uh, off of helicopters onto the economy. And that, that the problem that you have at $30 trillion or you have at $50 an hour is the exact same problem you have with $2 trillion and $15 an hour. It's the same problem. It's just on a smaller scale. And that's why they always want to do this stuff in increments over time. You know, we're going to bump the minimum wage up to $15 over a 10-year period. It's to muddy the waters, to obfuscate, you know, the, the clear and present danger of a minimum wage or of creating money out of thin air. If you do it over a long enough time, well, then it's harder to see the um, immediate effects of it. And you can always come up with some other excuse, something that happened, that you can blame all of the negative effects on and, and explain away all the problems. So that's what they're doing here. And that's what they will continue to do until we demand that they do something different, until we start rolling back government a little bit. And as long as we look to government to solve our problems, we are doomed to exacerbate them because that's all they do. Anytime the government declares a problem and sets out to solve it, they not only make it worse, but they create you know 10 to 15 other problems on top of it that we then have to deal with. And of course, how are we going to deal with them? We're going to look to government to solve the problem. And on and on we go, this downward spiral. Let's take a quick second and thank our dear, dear, dear sponsor of today's show. And that, of course, is Lorenzotti Coffee. By now, you guys have to know about these guys, but not all of you have tried their coffee. I know for a fact you haven't, but I don't know what you're waiting for. Either you drink coffee or somebody you know drinks coffee, and who doesn't want premium Italian coffee delivered right to your door? By two liberty-loving entrepreneurs, one of which is a fan of this show and who has gone beyond the call of duty as a sponsor, so go to lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION, you'll get 10% off your order. I know they've got some new merchandise out there, they've got some coffee grinders, the packaging is beautiful, they make great gifts. Put a, bit, a gift basket together for somebody for Valentine's Day or something like that. You could package this with uh, some brownies from the Lucky Guy Bakery, who is the other sponsor for today's show. I'm just going to do two back to back because, uh, you know, it's my show, I can do whatever the fuck I want. So Lucky Guy Bakery bakery has delicious handmade brownies using all natural ingredients they have a variety of brownies that you can choose from from regular chocolate brownies to vegan gluten-free they have peanut butter bonanza they have oatmeal and a blondie in there you know we had Joni in on the friday happy hour as well wonderful woman so glad i got to finally put a, a face together with that sponsor we had a great time and she's just another another wonderful entrepreneur with a great product so go to the lucky guy bakery use the promo code pf20 for 20 percent off your order you know this would be the the perfect valentine's day gift i in my mind would be to get a couple tins of lorenzotti coffee get a few brownies from Lucky Guy Bakery, put them together in a basket with some Zipix toothpicks. Woo, can I do three back-to-back -back and not have to do another ad read? Let's try it. <laughs> put them together in a basket with some 
nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks. So when you're looking for that perfect nicotine alternative, go over to zippixtoothpicks.com, use my promo code FICTION for 10% off your order, and get yourself some nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks that are the perfect substitute for all of these nicotine alternatives or cigarettes in general. You can pop them in your mouth whenever you want, wherever you want. Nobody's none the wiser. You still get that whole hand-to-mouth oral fixation thing taken care of. You get your nicotine craving satisfied, and you can even pick your teeth with them if you just ate a steak or something like that. Can't do that with a cigarette, can you? So go to zippixtoothpicks.com. That's Z as in zebra, I-P-P-I-X.com. Use promo code FICTION. You'll get 10% off, and it's, I mean, you've got all your bases covered. You've got chocolate, nicotine, and caffeine all in one little gift pouch for that significant other or that loved one. You know, my mom always sends me something for Valentine's Day. Some of you guys have kids out there. Send them a little uh, gift basket of nicotine, coffee, and chocolate. And if they don't, if they're not into the whole nicotine thing, Zippix has these B12 infused caffeine toothpicks as well which I I think I've forgotten to mention in the last couple of ad reads, but they're infused with caffeine and B12. So even if you know somebody who's not a coffee lover, get them some Zippix caffeinated and B12 toothpicks. And right after you do that, go to laurenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION for 10% off that order, Put those things together, get them in a gift basket, and send them to somebody you love. Do it for me, do it for the wonderful sponsors of this show, and do it for that special someone in your life. Lorenzotti.coffee, promo code FICTION, Lucky Guy Bakery, promo code P as in peddling, F as in fiction, 20 for 20% off. Zippixtoothpicks.com, promo code FICTION for 10% off your order. You will not be disappointed in these products, and man, would they go great together. Make sure you get that done today and let's get back into the show and how is the government going to solve the problem well they're going to throw money at it they're going to create dollars out of thin air using the federal reserve using the printing press and we're just going to spend billions of dollars on this trillions of dollars on that that'll solve the problem that'll do it I mean, it's, it's worked so well in the past, right? Hasn't it? I mean, like I always say, don't you think if government was the answer to any of these problems that they would have solved at least one of them by now? And I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. I ask this question a couple times a year. Point to something, one thing that the government has solved. One problem the government has set out to solve and actually made better, materially better, a problem that they have solved. You can't do it. It's fucking impossible. They, they, they fail miserably at everything by our standards, by their standards. As I talked about, it's a smashing success. The more they fail, the more money they get. And look how much money they've taken now. We're, we're coming up on $28 trillion. $28 trillion. I mean, that's a shitload of failure, isn't it? <laughs> how much more good money are we going to throw after bad before we cut them off? I mean, if you had like a, a carpenter working on your house and he just kept destroying wall after wall and digging, you know, under tile and ripping stuff up and destroying your bathrooms and he just kept asking for more money, more money, and he was going to get to the root of the problem eventually, how, wh- were you going to let him tear down the entire house before you cut him off? This is where we are right now. The house is in in shambles, and they're asking for more money, and we keep giving it to them. This is insane. And do you know that 25%, I just heard this stat the other day, 25% of the money in circulation right now, 
was created just last year. Think about that. That is fucking incredible. They are pumping money into this economy. And that is the inflation. It's not, you know, it's not the CPI. It's the actual money that they're creating and circulating through the economy. And it is going to be massive and it is going to hurt the people, the very people that they set that they claim to want to help. The poor, the disenfranchised, the elderly, those on fixed income. This in, this inflation that's coming is going to just crush the average American. And of course, their solution will be more of the same, more inflation. Because they're cowards, and that's the cowardly way out. It would take some balls for them to get up and be like, listen, you know, we, we lied to you guys, we screwed everything up, we screwed you over, we've uh, we've lived way beyond our means for way too long, we have to do, you know, we have to tighten our belts, we have to cut government spending, we have to cut entire departments, we can't afford all of this, we have to default on all this debt. Uh, that's the only, re- the true answer there, but no, they'll take the cowards way out and they'll default in another way, which is just to inflate the, the trillions and trillions of dollars of debt that we've accumulated that they'll get rid of that through inflation and you'll see the prices of everyday goods and services that everyday average Americans depend on, the price is just going to go through the roof. And, and you know, your $15 minimum wage isn't going to mean shit in a couple years. You're going to have to bump that up to 30 and then to 45 and then to 65 because they've destroyed the value of the dollar. The problem is not this minimum wage arbitrary number that they picked out of a hat. The problem is that they're destroying the value of the dollar. Every year, they try to destroy it by 2%, but that's by their retarded CPI measurement, which understates inflation by at least half that, probably more, okay? Because it's just a a reflection of prices, not inflation. And they manipulate it, and they have hedonics, and all this shit that understates the real rate of inflation, because they don't want you to realize how how much purchasing power you're actually losing. And so they mask it behind a, a, a rigged CPI. But that's their stated goal. And if, if, if we know anything, when the government states a goal and sets out to achieve it, they do uh, a million times worse. And that's, that's when infl- you'll see inflation go through the roof. Anyway, um, let, let's talk about this, the impeachment of, of Donald Trump, shall we? So today is day two of the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Yes, you heard that correctly. He has been impeached for a second time. Yesterday, they voted to uh, whether or not it was constitutional to impeach a person who is no longer in office. And I believe the vote was 56-44 in favor of the constitutionality of this event. So there were six Republicans that broke ranks. You know, if you look at the list of them, you know, it's like Mitt Romney and all all these other guys that really have a, a history of hating Trump. Trump for the most part. And they, they sided with the Democrats saying that it was constitutional to impeach somebody who was no longer sitting in office because Donald Trump left office uh, almost a month ago now on the on the 20th. This is kind of, of interesting what's going on here. But, you know, technically, I suppose they started the impeachment while he was still in office, right? They started it the week before he left. And this is all because he allegedly incited an insurrection on January 6th. And you guys are all well familiar, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, how I feel about the January 6th Capitol riot. And I guess the yesterday, or I believe it was yesterday, that the Democrats played videos 
uh, all these like um, montages of the Capitol riots, what happened on January 6th. And I got to say, if, if that's the best they can do, I, I stand by my, my previous comments on this. Like I watched that. It was like a 14 minute video. You know, the first like 12 minutes of it, 13 minutes of it, there was literally like no violence whatsoever. Like there was a little bit of pushing and shoving that took place sporadically. And they but it was mostly just people moving barricades out of the way and walking. Like they didn't even have to res- like they didn't have to result to vi- resort to violence to get into the Capitol building. It, it was basically just like walking forward. And the the few Capitol police officers they had were just sort of like getting out of the way and move backing up, backing up, backing up, getting out of the way, which I don't blame them. They were outnumbered like, you know, a thousand to one or something like that. But there was very little actual violence that they had on these videos. Toward the end, you started seeing them, you know, they were throwing microphones or they were like swinging at them with the the flags that, you know, because they're all carrying flags. But the vast majority of this was just people walking up to the Capitol. They kept marching forward, getting in the face of police officers, yelling at them. But yeah, breaking windows, climbing through. They did show that chick getting shot in the fucking like point blank when she tried to climb through that that window that I think led to the the Senate floor or something like that. So they showed that. But other than that, you saw maybe like uh, somebody getting hit with a a flag. Um, I don't even know. I mean, it was, again, just like uh, just pretty ridiculous. Like if you were to take a montage of that versus a montage of just one of the Black Lives Matter riots, it would be like a thousand times more violent. And that apparently is okay because it's for a righteous cause and all of these Trump supporters who think that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, that's not a that's not a noble cause, right? Even though they think that if you just look at it from their perspective, right? If the if the whole idea is, you know, democracy and upholding the sanctity of this you know, religion of the state, from their perspective, democracy isn't being upheld because they think that this uh, election was stolen. And they think that for a number of reasons. I mean, yes, because Donald Trump was saying that the election was stolen, sure. But there's even if Trump wasn't saying anything, if they were just watching what was going on, um, there was a lot of questionable stuff that we've gone over that happened on Election Day and the following days that would lead certain people to believe that hey, maybe this was stolen. Now, the this is absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion, to be impeaching Donald Trump for this. Um, you have his speech and this, you know, they started storming the Capitol before he was even done talking. But if you read the transcript or listen to the whole speech, you know, they cut it off conveniently after he said, we're going to go, we're going to go to the Capitol and protest. Like he says, um, what, what's he say? like peacefully and patriotically protest. Like they leave that part out where he says peacefully. Um, so I don't know how you get him for inciting insurrection. Or, or whatever. But day two, this is when the uh, the Democrats are going to present their opening arguments for the case that has pretty much no chance of succeeding if Tuesday, if yesterday's vote was any indication, right? Because 
56-44. Okay, they got six Republicans to cross ranks and side with Democrats on this, but they need 17 altogether. I think I think they need minimum 17 senators to to break ranks to convict Trump of inciting the Capitol riot. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to get 11 more Senate Republicans to go along with this insanity. Um, this is all just political theater. Now, from what I'm reading, I haven't watched much of this because it's just... It's all bullshit, and it bores the hell out of me. But from what I'm reading, it sounds like Trump's defense attorneys put forth a pretty unimpressive argument. They weren't really even addressing the unconstitutionality of this yesterday, which is sort of, you know, it it doesn't sound like for being such a litigious guy, you know, Trump is always in these fucking lawsuits. Why doesn't he have better attorneys? I I don't know. It it seemed like they they botched all of the election fraud arguments. trials that they got, you know, anytime they were going up in front of a judge, it didn't seem like they made the right kind of argument and they kept losing in court there. Uh, this guy's putting forth a, a very unimpressive argument by every uh, every article I'm talking, I'm reading is saying how unimpressive it was. I'm, I guess I'll take them at their word. I don't know. But I, I don't know if it'd be any less impressive than the Democrats' argument for him inciting a riot. But um, what's, what's, what's interesting about this to me is not necessarily the all the political theater or the fact that they're they're going after Trump even after he's left office. Obviously, they're they're just the only reason they're doing this. I guess there's two reasons, right? They really want to make an example out of him and out of any outsider that won't tow the establishment line. But they're terrified of this guy starting his own political party, running for office again. That's what they're trying to accomplish here. They they think that Donald Trump at was he 76 or 78 how old is fucking i don't think he's 78 but however old he is he's in his 70s right he's old they think he's going to run again for office and they they know i think they have a sense now how upset most of america at least half of america is with their performance and the establishment and the corporate press and they've seen them reveal themselves for who they truly are over the last four years. And they are terrified that they could lose control of this whole thing. So they have to go after Donald Trump and try to make sure that he can't ever run again and start this whole, you know, a whole other political party where the 74 million people that voted for him can take their votes and go elsewhere. And that that I guess that could get really interesting really quickly. But all of this is taking place with uh, an article that came out, when was this, two days ago? Holy shit, no, this was on February 4th. Man, it was that long ago. Wow, okay. I guess it, man, time really flies when you're having fun. This article, and I still can't believe, like when I first saw this article, I guess it was six days ago, uh, maybe it was five days ago, I couldn't believe that they wrote this article. Uh, maybe they'd write this thing a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, uh, but a month after, uh, not even a month after Biden is sworn into office, they, they wrote this article. This is a little over a month after the whole insurrection, quote unquote, took place on the Capitol building, which is the impetus for this whole, this whole impeachment of Donald Trump. And the the whole impetus for the, the riot at, at, on, on the Capitol building was the fact that Donald Trump was uh, was telling people that this election was rigged against him and they stole it from him. And they stole it from the seven, four, 74 million people that voted for him. 
So with all that in mind, Time comes out with an article, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. Now, this is just unbelievable to me, the, the how brazen they are. Like the, the Trump derangement syndrome is one of the most incredible phenomenons I've ever seen. And it has people, they're just not thinking clearly. They can't see any, they have these huge blinders on. They can only see one thing through this tunnel vision. Now, this is a very long article. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. Chances are you've heard about it by now. Maybe you've read some of it. Maybe you've read all of it. But if you, in case you haven't, the, the gist of the article is basically that everything that Donald Trump was alleging was true. <laughs> like, there was a, uh, I, I, wait, let me find this quote. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protest and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. Now, sorry, I, I couldn't help but laugh at the, you know, massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protest. I wonder if there's another way that you could frame that. Or maybe there's another way of framing the insurrection on Capitol Hill. Because, man, massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protest. Uh, I, I can't, I struggle to think of instances when they weren't destructive. And um, they were destructive on a massive level. Billions of dollars of damage. Um, dozens of people killed. Fires uh, all across the country. Property damage. You name it. But I guess that's just, you know, massive, somewhat destructive. Sometimes, you know. But they were for racial justice, so it's okay. Um, but this is... I mean, I, I still can't believe they wrote this article. The only law and the timing of it, too. Like I said, like right when they're starting this impeachment trial, if I didn't know any better, they were trying to give ammunition to Donald Trump. But the thing is, they're so blinded by their hatred of Trump that they they can only see what the, what transpired, what this article says took place, which is basically a bunch of uh, Democrats, and they say Republicans as well. So establishment people come together. They get together with big CEOs, I'm guessing, of like tech companies and that were censoring people on Twitter and censoring links to stories and uh, canceling people, right? Uh, censoring information that they deemed disinformation in the most Orwellian uh, fashion. But they came together with them and some of these activists at Black Lives Matter protests, and they all got together to ensure the uh, integrity of the election. That's the gist of the article, and I'm going to read some of it for you here. But they can't seem to see, and uh, I guess this Molly Ball is the one writing it, but I don't know, she has editors, and like somebody decided ultimately to publish this article. They, they can't fathom the idea that that, that those groups, like all these groups that just coincidentally happen to hate Donald Trump and every Trump supporter and think he's like Hitler reincarnated, all these groups get together to uh, 
fortify, what did they say, fortify the election results and, you know, ensure the integrity of democracy and the election and everything like that. They can't possibly fathom that that would be anything but good, that there's no other perspective to this, that, you know, somebody like me reading this or maybe a one of these right wing Donald Trump supporters reading this would see this as proof that everything that they've been saying Everything that Donald Trump has been alleging that they keep saying is a lie over and over and over again. Everything is is proven right here in this article. Here we go. I'm going to start sort of in the middle of the article here. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out as people thronged cities across the U.S. to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede. The president, sometime, something to the president, something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, and this is that's the paragraph I, I read to you before. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair credible and corrupt and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attacks from the remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions from nonpartisan and conservative actors. The scenario the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. Uh, Okay. It was an election so calamitous that no result would be discerned at all. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change their voting systems and laws and help secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over the days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories (laughs) and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After Election Day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. The untold story of the election is the thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation, says Norm Eisen, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the Voter Protection Program. 
Now, um, th- that isn't even like a quarter of this article that I just read to you. But this is just a- amazing to me. I mean, you can tell just by the way that she writes about Donald Trump in here that she is clearly no fan of his, right? And all of these people, you know, labor, all these, you know, came together with forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. The handshake between business and labor was just one component. You know, all of these um, loosely organized coalitions of operatives that, that they talk about, they all come together, right, to ensure the election results. But they also all believe that this is a, you know, this president, Donald Trump, is literally Hitler, autocratically inclined, she says. I mean, they all have the same view of Donald Trump, whether they were Republicans or Democrats, you know, they're establishment types, right? And they don't want Donald Trump to get reelected. There's just no way. Yeah, sure, they want to ensure that there's free and fair elections, right? So they go and get out the vote. They, they get millions of people to vote by mail. You think they're going to, you know, to Alabama into the, you know, the red districts where Donald Trump would do really well if they got more people to vote by mail and got out the vote there. You think that's where they're spending all of the private and public money, all the funds that they got together? You think they're spending that to get Donald Trump voters to come out and vote by mail? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, this is just they they got states to change voting systems and laws. I mean, that was one of the lawsuits that Donald Trump brought to Pennsylvania was that they unconstitutionally changed these voting systems and laws. I I can't I'm, I'm still flabbergasted that they wrote this article, that it got published and that not a lot of people are really talking about this. I mean, I saw some chatter about it on Twitter, but to publish it right now in the midst of impeaching Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection because he said the election was stolen from him and everybody that was storming the Capitol believes that literally everything that is written in this article happened. And now they're saying that it did happen. But no, no, no. It wasn't to keep Trump out of office. It was just to ensure the integrity of the election. And integrity of the election to them is keeping Trump out of office. I mean, that that's exactly what they mean by that. There's no goddamn way uh, on the face of this earth that if Donald Trump had, had won this election, they'd write this same article, you know? It, with the same tone as it being this great thing that, you know, hey, um, we, we this whole thing came together, you know, all of these shadowy figures got together with businesses to ensure that there was no funny business going on in this election. And we got all these votes, these people to vote and we changed their voting systems and we, you know, we helped uh, get voter suppression lawsuits overturned. We recruited armies of poll workers you know, and just to ensure that everything went copacetic and now Donald Trump's the winner. You think they'd be writing this article then? And by the way, uh, these are the same people that were for years telling us that a few Facebook ads from Russia was um, election interference and stole the election for Trump. And they ran with that. I mean, if that's election interference, what the fuck is this? What what would you categorize this? If this isn't election interference, just because you have Democrats and Republicans colluding together, I I am speechless over this. I mean, it is it is just so in your face and just so obtuse. They they have no idea what they're actually saying here. And that's hilarious to me. This is just unbelievable. I can't believe that uh, more people aren't just fucking going crazy with this. Maybe I just missed it because I'm down here in Mexico. 
but preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. So they were, they were able, you know, they got the social media companies to curtail disinformation. It just happened that all the disinformation seemed to go in one direction, right? It wasn't like they were doing anything, they were suppressing any stories that would uh, hurt Donald Trump, right? They, they certainly had no problem running with his tax returns. And a, a lot of that was disinformation, at least according to uh, Trump's tax attorneys. They ran with that. But the Hunter Biden story? No, no, you can't click on that link. You can't share that with anybody. I mean, this is, um, this, this is incredible. This is really unbelievable. They, they break down the, the people involved in this. You know, you had the former, you know, the, uh, the clearly nonpartisan former uh, Obama advisor, right? And then the architect of this, if you scroll down through the article, Mike Podhorzer, who was the senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest union federation. Who, who, who does the union back again? I forget. Unions go wait, Republican, right? They're, they're Donald Trump's guy. That's who all the unions are, are backing on this. Is that right? No. The AFL-CIO is a very liberal fucking left-wing organization. They even say, among Democratic insiders, he's known as the wizard behind some of the biggest advances in political technology in decades. A group of liberal strategists he brought together in the early 2000s led to the creation of the Analyst Institute, a secretive firm that applies scientific method to political campaigns. He was also involved in the founding of Catalyst, a flagship progressive data company. But sometime in the fall of 2019, Mike Podhorzer became convinced the election was headed for disaster and determined to protect it. Now, what do you think would be a disaster for the um, nation's largest union federation advisor and, uh, you know, a a very left-wing Democratic insider? What do you think would be disastrous for him? You think it would be disastrous if Joe Biden lost, maybe, and if Donald Trump won? You think he's trying to determine to protect uh, Donald Trump from, from losing? I don't think so. I definitely don't think so. And then the article goes on to talk about how in 2016, one of the unusual strengths uh, to the Trump campaign was how well he did with blue-collar voters who once dominated the AFL-CIO organization. So they're clearly worried that he's going to do this again. He began circulating weekly number-crunching memos to a small circle of allies and hosting strategy sessions in D.C. It turned out Podhorzer wasn't the only one thinking in these terms. He began to hear from others eager to join forces. The Fight Back Table, a coalition of resistance organizations, had begun scenario planning around the potential for a contested election, gathering liberal activists at the national, local and national level into what they called the Democracy Defense Coalition. Voting rights and civil rights organizations were raising alarms. A group of former elected officials was researching emergency powers they feared Trump might exploit. Protect Democracy was assembling a bipartisan election crisis task force. It turned out that once you said it out loud, people agreed. Oh, yeah. Then they talk. They go on to talk about the alliance, like who, who else was involved in this. And, you know, they, they frame it in a way that it's just, oh, Trump said he wouldn't concede if he lost the election. So we need to make sure that th- there's no way for him to do that. And the best way for him to do that is to rig the election for Joe Biden to win and to suppress and discredit any effort to to the contrary, you know. 
Um, th- this is just, I just cannot believe that they wrote this. It's, and then they go on. It, the, the next section is called securing the vote. I mean, the, the, uh, the language they use is just hilarious to me. The institutes helped 37 states and D.C. bolster mail-in voting. It wouldn't be worth much if people didn't take advantage, right? Part of the challenge was logistical. Each state had different rules for when and how ballots should be requested, blah, 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 blah. In August and September, it sent ballot applications to 15 million people in key states, 4.6 million of whom returned them. In mailings and digital ads, the group urged people not to wait for Election Day. All the work we've done for 17 years was built for this moment of bringing democracy to the people's doorstep. Yeah, this is like, you know, when they have those get out the vote campaigns and it's always like actors and athletes and everything that want you to go vote. It's like, yeah, we want you to go vote, but you got to vote for the right person. You got to vote Democrat. They're not they're not telling you to get out there and vote and go vote for Donald Trump. No, no. Uh, Literally Hitler. Of course not. Why would they do that? The disinformation defense. Bad actors spreading false information is nothing new. For decades, campaigns have grappled with everything from anonymous calls claiming the election has been rescheduled to flyers spreading nasty smears about candidates' families. But Trump's lies, oh, Trump's lies and conspiracy theories, those are a viral, combined with the viral force of social media and the involvement of foreign meddlers, made disinformation a broader, deeper threat than the 2020 vote, to the 2020 vote. So Laura Quinn, a veteran progressive operative who co-founded Catalyst, began studying this problem a few years ago. She piloted a nameless secret project, which she has never before publicly discussed, that tracked disinformation online and tried to figure out how to combat it. One component was tracking dangerous lies that might otherwise spread unnoticed. Researchers then provided information to campaigners or media to track down the sources and expose them. The solution, she concluded was to pressure platforms to enforce their rules by both removing content or accounts that spread disinformation and by more aggressively policing it in the first place. The platforms have policies against certain types of malign behavior, but they haven't been enforcing them, she says. Okay, now think back. Let's all think back to all the disinformation that got deplatformed or aggressively policed by these uh, big tech firms, social media platforms. Think back to all all those and, and which ones helped which candidate. Quinn's research gave ammunition to advocates pushing social media platforms to take a harder line. In 2019, November, Mark Zuckerberg invited nine civil rights leaders to dinner at his home, where they warned him about the danger of the election-related falsehoods that were already spreading unchecked. It took pushing, urging, conversations, brainstorming, and all of that to get it to a place where we ended up with more rigorous rules of enforcement. And I'm sure they, um, they, they were all concerned about you know, Democrat disinformation as well, right? Um, all of these CEOs, they're all liberal. Jack Dorsey, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, these are all Democratic. Uh, this is, I, just, I still can't believe that they wrote this article. It's hilarious. And it just keeps getting worse. It just keeps going on and on. It just keeps like twisting that knife deeper and deeper. Anyway, I- I'm going way over time. So go, ch- go check out this Time article because they, I mean, I'm only, I'm not even like halfway through it. It just keeps going and going and going. And they, th- the funny thing to me is that they just have no idea what they've admitted to because they can't see that there could possibly be another angle to this. And when you think about all of the questionable things that happened on election night, 
um, when you think of all the questionable things that happened from election day to the certifying of the electorate, uh, electoral college, with this in mind, it's like, holy shit, dude, I can't believe they wrote this article. And by the way, these same people that are all involved in this behind the scenes cabal of people to ensure and fortify the election results, all of these people are the ones who will tell you that uh, not only was there Russia collusion and some Facebook ads where it was election interference, but that they believe in democracy and that it, it, democracy is like the most important thing ever. Well, if you believe in democracy, why do you have to you know, get all these people together to sort of influence the results in one way or another, which you clearly are doing with all of these things? I mean, come on, let's be honest here. Let, does anybody really believe that all of these fucking things just happened, that they all happened to get together, and yeah, we had some people from the other side of the aisle too, but they're all establishment people, then the establishment notoriously hates Donald Trump. We all watched while all of these social media companies deplatformed right-wing people, libertarians, anybody who wasn't a, a liberal Democrat... Uh, was in danger of getting deplatformed. We all watched this one-sided attack take place, and um, we're, we're supposed to believe that this isn't, uh, uh, by at least by their shitty definition of election influence, this would certainly qualify, wouldn't it? I mean, if placing Facebook ads is election interference, wh what is this? getting people together to making sure that you change the election laws, sending out, you know, 15 million ballots to people in key states. Like, I mean, this is great. Like getting pressuring big tech firms and social media platforms to censor information. Like, really, this isn't at the very least election interference. And you guys are the ones that claim to be all about democracy, like unfettered democracy. We just need to let the sanctity of democracy ring true and let the vote, let the people vote and the vote count fall where it may. Oh my God, you can't make this stuff up. And this is just a, a very fascinating article. Go and read it. Um, it, it is freaking long, man. It took me a couple days to get through this just because I, I can't sit down for that long and, and just read through all this. I'm a little too busy, but I finally got through it all. And I was just, the, the longer you read it, the more you can't believe that um, just how out of touch they are and just how blind they are to what they're actually admitting to in this. Really incredible stuff. Anyway, this this is all, you know, sort of in the backdrop as they try to impeach Trump, which is just hilarious to me because they're saying that, oh, he's just lying about, you know, the election being stolen. And then there he's like a fucking 10,000 word article about how they basically tried to steal the election from him and how they were successful at it. But it wasn't really stealing. It was just protecting his attack on democracy by attacking democracy of their own, uh, from their own you know standpoint. I don't know. This is just we certainly live in interesting times. I'm I'm going to wrap there, guys. I'm way over time. Thank you all so very much for listening. Oh, damn it. And I forgot to make this announcement at the beginning. I hope you all listen to the end of this show. But I've decided to, uh, you know, we're doing the Friday night uh, happy hours every other week. So not this Friday, but next Friday we'll be doing one. If you want to be a part of that, all you have to do is go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Click on the support the show tab and set up a recurring monthly donation. That will get you into the group and you can come have a drink with me 
and the rest of our supporting listeners. Before we started this program, if you had donated the show in the past or donated to uh, any of uh, you know, the, the Kiara Fund or anything like that, I grandfathered you in, so you guys will all be in permanently. And then the other thing that I thought would be kind of fun to do is that we do have a private Facebook group. So you can find our private Facebook group by going onto Facebook and searching for the Peddling Fiction Podcast. There's a, a public page and a private group, so try not to get the two confused. But the, the private group, you have to answer three questions to get in. And once you're into that, what I want to do is a way of rewarding the most active members of that group is that the top 10 contributors to the private Facebook group are going to get an invite to the Friday happy hour. I think it's going to end up being like the following month, right? So it's like for the month of February, we'll look and see who the top 10 contributors are. And then I'll invite them to the following to the following happy hour. And I think that would be kind of cool, a way to increase engagement with the group and a way of rewarding the people that are the most active. And I can get to talk to you guys and we can hang out, have some cocktails, whatever. So we're going to start doing that. The top 10 contributors will get an invite to a happy hour. So go join the private Facebook group and start posting stuff. Start dropping some memes in the weekly meme stream and things like that. You know, engage in some of these conversations people are having. And let's, let's create a cool little community there. And then the most active members of that community can join forces with our happy hour group and we can trip the light. Fantastic. That will be uh, the first one of that will be a week from this Friday. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. I got a couple of pretty cool interviews coming up for you guys. Oh, shit. In about, in about 30 minutes, I'm, I'm interviewing uh, Todd. Hagopin, I, I forget, Hagopian, I, I always butcher his last name, but he's the uh, libertarian in chief on Twitter, if you guys are familiar with him. So we're going to we're gonna chat here in just about 30 minutes. So I really have to wrap. And, and then I have uh, an, another one that I'll, that I'll drop next week as well. So that, that'll be kind of fun. That's about it. Just do me a favor. Continue to listen every week. Share the show with people that you think are going to like it. If you really enjoyed what you heard here today, do me a favor, give me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.